When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, people? Welcome again to Courtside Fracker, part of the Touchline Media Group, all things NBA, uh, coming straight to you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Myself, Yassine James, hosting you today. This week, I am joined by Sai. What's happening, my bro? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Sai, you look like you're in a, in a real photo shoot there for all the YouTube viewers. Yeah, man. Got the drip. The drip, got drip. The drip. Got the drip ready, and, and I know you're going to... Going to look forward to some of what we're covering today. Uh, Houston Rockets fan GT. For now. For now. For now. I think that might be a sentiment shared by a few, to be fair. Uh, And then, Remos, what's going on? I'm okay, man. It's good to be back on the pod. I feel like like we've got a bit of a balancing act with you this week in that We've got, we've got a draft to be excited about and then a Russ question, which your second love, uh, which may be less excited about. Yeah, man. I'm, 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 actually, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually not not excited about the Russ thing. I just, I'm, I'm just waiting to see what happens before I really, like, you know, like, start, start giving my opinions. But. So keeping calm under pressure. Yeah. He's not very Russ-like. But anyway, um, look, <laughs> one, way, one way to start this pod. Come on, they're already throwing shade. <laughs> one way to start this pod off. He's um, with more summer news from the NBA this week, just as, a, as an update as we do. Uh, Tommy Heinsohn, Boston Celtics legend, passed away this week at the age of 86. Um, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics in 1956 and then played a part in every single title that they won, whether it be player, uh, coach for two of those titles, and an announcer where everyone under the age of pretty much 50 really, really knows him as. Uh, Hall of Fame player and coach. Also, second president of the Players' Union for the NBA, uh, organised the first strike to demand working conditions and actually led to free agency and the first collective bargaining agreement. So a really big person in NBA history has passed this week. And anyone who would have listened to like Celtics local broadcast would have heard him be the most biased, green, fully anti-referee commentator of all time. Uh, GT, it's good you're on this week because you're right. When I was first getting into basketball, you kind of tipped me off that, oh, you're going to hate this guy. And then within two games, I loved this guy as a fan. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't know what you've got till it's gone in terms of him not being there, GTB. I think someone once said, Doc Rivers once said that if you're listening to the games and he's commentating and you're not a fan, you'll hate him. Is that fair to say what your experience was? Yeah, my, my beef with him was that I like to learn from the commentators. I like to pick up from their expertise. And there's nothing to learn from someone who's just a complete homer. The best story if, I if think... you're a fan, fine. He is, he is. I think he knew nothing else. So 56 to now uh, in terms of Celtic life. And I think Doc Rivers had a great story which came out in that he was so one-eyed and biased on the refs that at every referee meeting while he was Celtic coach annually, one referee would come up to him and say, can you, can you have, a, have a word with Tommy and just get him off our back when we're, when we're working Celtics games? Which was, uh, which was a story in the New York Times recently, so that was brilliant. Um, listen, this week, mainly what we are going to cover is um, latest news in the NBA as well, but Houston Rockets off-season autopsy. So, carrying on our series 
and anyone who's paid attention to the NBA this week will know that this one is really up in the air regarding next year. Um, so we're going to get right into that. Before that, we're three days away from the draft, coming up this Wednesday, 18th of November, and a couple of days away from when teams are able to make trades again. And as Danny Ainge kind of said in a podcast, he said it's going to be a real uh, battle. Everyone seems to be roasting rooms. Everyone seems ready to make these trades. Even ridiculous rumours are starting to leak. It's silly season, it's stupid, and it's all just drip feeding out. What's, what's, what's the best one you've heard? There's a few. There's a few. The, 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 the James Harden to the next one made me chuckle a bit. Well, like this is one that's come out last <laughs> night. Yeah, I don't know how Sky feels about that one. That one made me chuckle. I mean, I panicked about that one because we had this pod lovely little plan. We're going to talk about James Harden next year. And then we're hearing potentially Torian Prince, Jarrett Allen, Karis Levert, Spencer Didwitty, for and a few things maybe for Harden to the Nets to join KD and Kyrie. And I just... That's one of the worst superstar trades I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm not ready for that if it does happen. Sai, where would you be on that as a Nets fan? I'm, I'm confused and like... If it wasn't bad enough that we've got a coaching team that is basically like the suicide squad, who are just going to run and gun for the, whole, for the whole season and just hope that something clicks, we're going to literally have three of the most ball-dominant players in the NBA um, all trying to shoot the ball. So my, my, my biggest worry is, obviously, Dan Tony's on, on the bench calling offense. He's basically going to ban any player other than those three guys, Kyrie, KD, or Harden from touching the ball in the same manner that he banned the Houston Rockets for, from shooting mid-ranges. So for me, it's dastardly diabolical and just damn right stupid. But I mean, the, the, the trade sounds like something off, off 2K, but it's, it's come from a source who's kind of put his neck out on it, really. It's, it's come from a journalist who's like, look, I don't usually do this on Twitter. Come from... Farbod Esnashari doesn't usually do these things and he's got a good fair few writing credits and stuff. And he's saying it could be confirmed on November 22nd if it was to get that far. I mean, the fact that a call's been made is, is probably likely. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's an interesting one. There's a lot of little ones that have been interesting. They've got a lot on the move. I think Drew Holiday, Oladipo, uh, DeRozan potentially as a third or fourth option or microwave bench scorer on the Lakers is an interesting one. Chris Paul to Phoenix is one that seems to be getting a little bit of pace, GT. So you've already got Aiton there, Booker there, a uh, few other good little pieces. Obviously, they have to get rid of uh, one of your favourite flawed geniuses in Ricky Rubio. But Chris Paul to Phoenix seems like it has a lot of legs. Where, do, where does that leave Phoenix in terms of playoff contention, if that comes off? Yeah, it would make them like a solid playoff team rather than a fringe playoff team. DP wants to go there because he, he obviously wants to compete. But I feel like the Bucks are still where he really wants to go, just whether they can get that deal done. I guess with the Bucks, you've got 40 million and Giannis might leave in a year and then you're just left with 40 million, I, I guess. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of it seems to be down to the, the respect with Booker and him. Um, and then there's his Clippers whispers that Kawhi might have asked Chris Paul to come back and... I don't know how legit that is. But the point is, these trades are coming and, and it's all could change in the next two days. So, so it's a really interesting time. Uh, also interesting is the, is the draft, as, as, as per usual. Now, it's not seen as the strongest draft at the top, but there's actually a fair few good little uh, depth pieces in this draft. As a Timberwolves fan, Reams, you lot have the number one pick. Congratulations on being one of the worst teams last year. There's your reward. 
what do you think they're going to do? Are they just going to go all out for a Lamelo or a, or an Anthony Edwards, or are they going to be a bit smarter with it and maybe drop down a few paces, go over a bit more depth? What are you thinking? What are you hearing? I think the whispers I've been looking is that they're um, they're going to use the number one draft pick. The main guy that everyone's looking at, obviously, is Anthony Edwards, who looks like clearly like the most talented player in this draft. But the issue that the Wolves are having at the moment is thinking about, okay, Anthony Edwards is another kind of like ball-dominant scoring guard. Kind of have, I want to say D'Angelo Ross is ball-dominant, but he's kind of a, he's, he's a, guy, he's a, he's a guy that usually like, likes to have the ball in his hand. So they're thinking about how that fit would work, even though I think it would work. So they're thinking we lack a bit in our front court in terms of like rim protection and defense and stuff like that, especially mm-hmm. as Anthony Towns is the strongest on the defensive end. So I've been hearing a lot of whispers around um, James Wiseman mm-hmm. coming in with the number one pick to play at the five and then allowing Carl Anthony Towns to be maybe become more of like a stretch four type of player, which yeah, he kind yeah. of already is anyway. Yeah. Because he spends most of his time on the perimeter shooting threes. It's so, a funny one. It's a funny one. Like you've got, a, you've got a big man there, which you're already well equipped with. You've got Lamelo, who's seen as going sort of top three, four, which is a, a guy who wants a ball in his hands, which you're already equipped with. And then you've got, yeah, that maybe two-way and the Edwards, but he, he does want the ball, I guess. So you're, it's a bit tight. You've got a number one, but none of them are perfect fits. You see Weinsman as the best one of them. I, I think Anthony Edwards is the best pick. Um, the issue I have with this draft is there's not really like... I, I, I feel like Anthony Edwards is definitely the consensus number one pick, and he has been. But obviously, like, Lamelo's PR has kind of, like, shot up mm. quickly, like, in recent months, like, very quickly. So there's that. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that we're not going to take Lamelo. I'm, I'm, I got to take... Because I, I don't think Lamelo and D'Angelo Russell is going to work. Like, the more you think about it, like, the... <laughs> the less sense that kind of makes it kind of they're, 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 there's too many similarities between too many them. similarities in strength and weakness really as exactly well right. isn't it? yeah exactly right so I think there was talk about Obi Toppin but again putting him in a backcourt of Carl Anthony Towns is just asking to ship 150 points per game mm. so I think if we want to go for the um super exciting athletic scoring star kind of like wing option then um then it's Anthony Edwards but if we go but then we're also looking at um the more safe kind of like guy to pair with Cat to kind of maybe get the best out of his strengths and kind of like minimize his weaknesses with James Wiseman and I think one of the reasons why we're looking to do that as well is because we like Malik Beasley's potential as like a as a as a like a free and D guy Mm-hmm. that would pair well with um, D'Angelo Russell like obviously I don't, you guys probably didn't watch any of the Timberwolves at the back end of last season but in, in like a little bit of game I'll be honest I was tempted to I like D'Lo and Towns but I just couldn't bring myself to do it <laughs> I, I do don't, like but, but I don't even want to watch the Timberwolves and they're my team like you know what I mean but I have to but like in the in a few games that Beasley and um, I think when Beasley came over to trade he was averaging maybe like 21 points per game and most of those were just like catch and shoot fast break dunks mm stuff like that. So they like how that fit works. So I feel like they think we could have something with D'Lo, Beasley and a, and a quality big man pair. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to spring it on you now and ask what you think the Timberwolves are going to do this year. Um, 
maybe after the draft, once once that's settled, we'll, we'll see we'll see how they do. Um, I did just notice, by the way, that your pick next year goes to the Warriors as well, which is a bit of a bummer in terms of rebuilding around. But but um, but yeah, we'll come back I to that reason. Like top five seed, so they get like the. 27th pick or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't bank. Hopefully it doesn't bank. Um, I mean, look, the draft has kind of been overshadowed for this weekend just by the biggest news which has come out this week, which is that Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. That is what has been reported by uh, Shams at The Athletic, and The Athletic seem to really have the scoop on all of this stuff and, and are rolling with it. Interestingly, it kind of comes a few days after Wodge and ESPN said that both Westbrook and Harden were kind of looking at the Rockets sideways and just thinking, what's really going on with us here? Obviously, they've got a new coach, which we'll get onto a bit more in the autopsy. Uh, Daryl Morey, who's really epitomised the philosophy of how the, uh, the offence runs and the Rockets run, is gone now to Philadelphia. Um, him and Harden obviously have a very, very good relationship, uh, Morey. So I think both Harden and Westbrook, the story is from Wodge. Previously, we were both not looking at the short-term future with a lot of optimism. A few days after that, maybe two days after, these big bombs come from Shams. It's Shams bomb. Forget Wodge bomb. It's Shams bomb now. That Westbrook wants out. Loads of reasons given, which sort of specific reasons gives you, gives you a taste that it might be a very well-sourced story. Um, a lot of it seems to be the culture at Houston. So it seems to be... Westbrook just feeling like the place is broken from the inside. Um, loads of little tidbits and stories in there, GT, as a fan, which, I mean, you probably might have seen evidence of anyway, but things like no one taking accountability for anything going wrong, things like Tucker and Eric Gordon both being fuming at their roles and not really getting what's going on contract-wise or minutes-wise, uh, things like Austin Rivers being shouted at by James Harden because James Harden missed a free throw, but Austin was in his eye line. Um, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> well, there we go. I mean, that's kind of the issue, isn't it? And Westbrook being Harden's good friend kind of makes that an awkward culture to be within when it's your job to point the finger, as Westbrook's kind of alluded to. And he wants to go somewhere where he can be a floor general. Fine. What impact is this going to have? Because there was a lot given up to get Westbrook in last year on Harden's, we think, request. A lot of picks given away. Uh, it was an all-in, win-now situation. What's your reaction as a fan, first and foremost? A fan of Russ and a fan of Houston. Yeah, I mean, reading the Shams piece, the impression I got was he wants out or he wants the culture to massively change. I didn't, I didn't get the impression it was like a broken relationship he just he was just putting it out there so trade me or fix the culture okay so that that i mean so i, I don't think it's like unfixable but i kind of just agree with him um like the owner the owner is like a complete doofus um the fact that they wait why, why is he a doofus because i've heard of, the biggest thing i've heard from this guy is that he's cheap as chips yeah, yeah. Uh, he's cheap. <laughs> so he's go cheap. into that for us so he, like his his whole business is like restaurants. So he's like proper struggling with the pandemic. But even before that, he he's cheap. There's, he's also apparently put like a big mural of himself like in within the the arena. So the players have to walk past like a big picture of his face. Oh my god, ridiculous. <laughs> um, he's also like a standard like donates to Trump or whatever. Like he's a bum. I don't like him. And also, but the fact that he let Maury go, like he just released Maury from his contract. 
and then a week later he signs for the Sixers. What kind of management is that? You can, you can got, you could have got something out of the Sixers if they wanted more that bad. Like mm. people trade GMs and, and managers like sometimes. You can get and and like we, a, we kind of talk it, about we kind of talk about who who's taken over within Houston, and it's basically just somebody who's been there for thirteen years working under Maury, Raphael Stone, who no one really knows. He's kind of just been promoted up out of ease. It's not really an ambitious move. Probably a cheap deal. Even even when we were taking ages to hire a coach, I was kind of thinking, is it because he just doesn't want to pay them until like... Because if the season doesn't start till March, then you might as well not have a coach till Feb. But then they announced <laughs> the season, he was like, all right, well, well, I guess I'll get a coach then. Culture comes from, from the top down. So yeah. I mean, if, that's, if that's your owner... I do find yeah. it ironic, though. I think a lot of these uh, cultural issues have been there for the duration of time that D'Antoni was at the, at the club anyway. Um, so for me, it's no surprise that when you lose Maury, who for the last however many years has facilitated like this crazy idea that small ball and D'Antoni's like pace with only layups and only threes and no mid-range and all of this bollocks. Like they bought into all of that and Russ was a massive part of that. So to see Maury and D'Antoni go within the space of, what, a couple of months. And then for all of this to happen, it makes me think that Harden and, and Westbrook both just sat there and thought, oh, we've got a cushy gig here. We don't really have to turn up. We don't really have to contend. We can just do our GQ covers, style it up, do the runways, go to the strip club. And that's, that's, that's our brand. And now that they're gone, they're talking about accountability. It's like, ah, it's a bit fishy for me. Mm, well, I mean, a part of that story as well is, it's interesting the dynamic with Russ and Harden in that they are good friends and we know they're good friends and, and all of that. But even in that story, it was that James Harden didn't take very well to when he was given corrections and maybe criticism, uh, which was particularly interesting. But but I'm I'm interested where you think, side this kind of puts Russ, because look, this is a superstar. Russell Westbrook is a superstar, MVP of the league only three years ago. Even this season, before the playoffs, where there was injury and COVID, and we'll get into that, Russ was averaging 30, 30 points, eight rebounds and seven assists for the entirety of 2020 once they kind of worked out how to fit him in the offense as like don't shoot drive to it kick it out with some passes get to the rim be the super westbrook and there were nights in january february where he was the rocket's best player right now in saying that the guy's on 42 million dollars next year roughly and nobody wants him this is what it seems to be like it seems like the only teams with any interest that have been reported are Orlando by a fake page, New York just because it's New York and they've always got space, and Charlotte, Charlotte, who are still only 50-50, and that's despite Russ being a Jordan athlete owning the Hornets, and Charlotte having no stars whatsoever. They're 50-50. I mean, that Charlotte one is a bit dubious. I, I feel like that's, that's just to drive his market value back up to... To a market value back up from nothing, it seems exactly. like. Right? Exactly. And now, and you could say the money, I hear that, big contract, but Phoenix seemed very, very happy to take on Chris Paul on similar money. So what does it say about Russ and his stock in 2020? MVP three years ago, 38 and seven at times this year, that still nobody wants to take him on, on that money, is he done or is he just that flawed a player that he doesn't fit anymore on that money and, and he's stuck? 
I'd say I say is a flaw. I mean, I mean, we've we've basically seen a like for like swap. CP3 has gone over to OKC with less talent. Harden has gotten Westbrook, his boy, and there's not really been any improvement over the course of the season in terms of wins and all of that stuff. And style of play for me has been a dubious point of contention. You you get rid of Capella, you bring in Covington, which for me is a good move. But they didn't replace Capella with another center. They didn't. They just didn't play a center. So, for me to facilitate, to do so much to facilitate a guy, who ultimately, when he when he did end up coming back into the fray when it really mattered, didn't really add, add any value. I think that that for me is the biggest indication that Russell Westbrook, for all the highlights, for all the sham god, triple doubles, the crossovers, the all the all the glitz and glamour. He's not effective. He's not effective in, in the manner that you would bring in a 44 million pound or a million dollar player. Like he's not going to win you a championship as number one or number two. And that much has been proven. Reams, as a, as a, as someone that Sai would call a Russ Venger, the eyes are rolling right out of your socket at the moment. So, I mean, but Reams, here's your chance, mate, because like no one wants him. That's what it seems like. No one wants the guy. So, so we're now for him and why is his market like this? Uh, listen, I have no interest in discussion, man, because people already have their opinions on Russ and they're not going to change their mind and they're not going to come into this discussion with any type of, type of good faith. So I'm not wasting my time with this. Wherever he ends up, he'll play great because he's a great player and that's it. Where would you, Let's say you were in charge of a team, especially in the East, where like the bottom half of the playoffs is relatively wide open. I think the West are kind of only fighting for the eighth or the seventh seed. Who... Who would you say he could really transform still? Um, Culture-wise, I think he could transform a lot of teams. I'll be honest. Like, he brings that intensity and, and he brings that experience. But who, who could he transform? I feel like any of those kind of like bottom-sided uh, playoff teams that aren't really like in contention to like really challenge for a title, he could transform any of those teams into a, a solid team. So I'm looking at New York Knicks, he could bring them back to the playoffs. Orlando Magic, who are kind of like a eight, seventh seed that don't really have like a superstar kind of like game-changing player to really make a difference. He can make them a solid, solid team. Uh, who else he got? I think Chicago Bulls, he can make them a really, like him and Zach Levine, that's a very, that's lots of firepower there. And Zach Levine's a guy that could play off the ball, could score. You got guys like um, Kobe White that could bring you firepower off the bench. The, the Bulls one's interesting. I just don't know if they have the pieces. I'd, kind of, like, I think I'd be really interested in that one. I feel like they'd have to give up. Um, they probably have to give up their backcourt to get him. So that's yeah, when. Well, the this is the this is the other half of it, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, to get him on his contract. You have to give up so much, and I guess that's like well, everyone everyone would like Russell Westbrook, right? Everyone would be like, "Hey, yeah, we'll have Russell Westbrook, no bother." But then, it, think, when push think, comes to shove, and you have to give something up. I think the main worry with Russ is, like. People that don't like Russ, they're gonna pretend that he's a bum. Even when he's, even when even you've mentioned that Russ was averaging 30, 30, eight and seven on fifty percent shooting, playing some of the best basketball of his career, and all Russ's naysayers, he was fast asleep. No one gave a shit. But as soon as, soon as he injured his quad, now think about the type of player Russ is. He injures yeah, his quad, and and if you ever had, ever had a quad injury, and played any kind of professional sports, and you're an athletic player, if you injure your quad. Right before the playoffs, you know what kind of effect that will have on your. Not game. only injured his quad, but he had to. He had he had COVID, and the yeah. effects of COVID are 
mixed with people. Some people get hit by a brick for weeks after. And then, like you say, with the quadricep, Russ is not Steph Curry. He's not bombing shots from everywhere. He is all about explosiveness, getting to the rim physicality. So 100%, and that seems to have been forgotten in terms of the impact on his, on his playoff showing. Just a quick one, though, Reams, about we talked about the bottom side of the team. One of the rumours, it's, it's not really a rumour, it's kind of more a theory that's come out online. Um, and I know Disu said that's where he'd like him to go, would be the Clippers with Kawhi, right? Now, obviously, they have to, they, really, they kind of have to give that's up Paul George that. for that to make it work. Or they have, there can be mad money with uh, Beverly and Harold signing trade and all sorts of stuff to potentially make it happen. So he could go and transform a team that needs something. Is, is he the guy that could go to a Clippers and get them over the line that they couldn't do last year? Or do you think that's where the hate comes from, that, that they just feel like he's, he's not performed on that highest stage so far, so the contending teams are like, nah? I think people like to pretend that Russell Westbrook's playoff career started in 2017. So if that was the case, then maybe they'd have a point. But here's the thing with Russ, right? His shooting is deteriorating in a league where shooting has become more and more important every season. So that's the main issue that people have with him. A team like the Clippers, though, they do have shooting. Like, they don't have a facilitator. That's what they really need. Mm. They really need someone who could really, like, run an offense. Like, when things got stale for the, for the Clippers, like, they really had no idea. They couldn't create anything. They couldn't – they didn't have a guy that could just – get to the rim, make a kick out, anything like that. It was just it just went dead like for long periods. Like that's why they see Kawhi having to do all phases of the game, right? He'd have to handle the ball. He'd have to we we, we gotta be honest. We gotta be honest. Kawhi might not be that guy. Like a lot of us, including me, was putting him up there with like LeBron James, but Kawhi might not be that guy. He just seemed like he, he he seemed like he was in such a position where like he could just make so much happen. We kind of put we kind of put stripes on him that maybe he isn't there yet. Like, and, yeah, and when this, is the that, first, like, this is the first failure that we've seen from him. So, yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. It's, like, so, but, then, but then what you mentioned was, was that guys like me, detractors of Russ, like you, you, you assumed that I, I look at his career and I start from 2017. But the fact of the matter is, is guys like Russell Westbrook get a lot of blies for being entertaining, being explosive, being this guy who like embodies what we want from our athlete. But when, when push comes to shove, like if we were to try and plug him into any of the elite teams now, we would see that he would cause probably just as many problems as, as he solves. We're talking about Clippers needing a facilitator. That's one aspect of Russ's game that has improved over time in terms of he's shown an ability to get guys buckets, but he doesn't really get them into the flow of a game. Right, that's what the Clippers need. They need someone that can get guys into the flow of the offense. You're not going to get that with Russ because we've just seen him come off of a Houston team who you have four four guys basically just standing on the perimeter waiting for him to give the ball up. And if it's not him doing that, then it's Harden doing that. So I think we have to look at the stylistic issues that Russell Westbrook. West that's different. His second option on the Houston Rockets didn't move off the ball. Kawhi has shown time and again that he's more than willing to play off the ball. He's more than willing to cut. He's more than willing to catch and shoot. So it's a better fit than 
one guy have the board and the other guy stands around doing nothing. Then another guy has the board and another guy stands around doing nothing. When one guy has the ball and everyone, all the pieces around you are willing to cut and move and run off the ball and create different opportunities, it's easier to facilitate in that scenario. Reams, with the contract being what it is, it's over 40 million, and then you have Chris Paul on similar money, but Chris Paul, who maybe can is more of a plug-in player who could maybe be a scorer and a facilitator and could do a bit maybe being a bit more versatile depending on the situation he lands in. And even like Drew Holiday looking to be moved by uh, New Orleans on only 26 million. I think, think that's still, I think, I think, I think any good team should be looking at Drew Holiday. I 100%. Think. I think that's maybe another thing that's going to kill Russ's market in that he's very I, I, plug and play. I, yeah, yeah. That, I feel like right now, teams that are looking to really contend for a championship aren't looking at Russ, which is fair enough because... A lot of teams, um, a lot of these teams, their window isn't really that big and they're trying to win now. So I don't feel like they're willing to give up what it would take to bring in Russ and it's not going to be like a guaranteed success, you know what I mean? Mm. I feel like teams that aren't really, don't really have many prospects as it is will, will be more likely to take a punt on Russ in the um, chance that it could kickstart their franchise to be good. And if it doesn't, they're just going to be as bad as they was last season. So... Mm. It's not really like that much of a loss if you look at it that way. Whereas teams that are contending, if you bring in a guy like Russ and like leverage your future to bring in a guy like Russ and it doesn't work, then you just look like you have egg on your face. You know what I mean? If you, uh, as 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 someone who does like enjoy Russ and and has followed them for as as long as you have, where do you think is where would you just like him to land? Like, okay, realistically, semi, but like, where would you like him to land? Does it have to be realistic. Semi-realistic. Give me a realistic one and a, oh, oh, well, if only he was on 15 million. Okay, so a very realistic one would be the Chicago Bulls. And a semi-realistic, but probably won't happen, would be Miami Heat. Okay, I guess that the only thing with that is the Giannis question, right? If they get here that Giannis doesn't want to join them, then maybe that's worth the investment in a similar role from the back. But, but yeah, they might want to keep themselves open for that free agent. I think Orlando Magic would be pretty interesting as well, to be honest. I think him and, Bu- and Butchevich would be an interesting that, little that, that pick on pop. That pick on pop. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you've got a big man who's almost made for Russ in that he can shoot and space the floor and Russ is a guard who can't and they're kind of inverted of each other. Um, and I just like Orlando being a big market. I like them having a star. I like them having a Howard or a Shaq or stuff like that. I think it would be really cool for them. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. GT, just as a last one, as a parting comment, now that this such has been made of this, right? Russ wants out, Russ wants out. People have since kind of said, well, he hasn't requested a trade, it seems like. Just wants out, which kind of goes along your lines about, look, he might be just using this to change the culture or force something through. What would be more embarrassing considering the PR of this now? Him to go somewhere like the Knicks where he's going to windmill a dunk and break the backboard and cut the deficit down to only 18 points? Um, or, after all this, him staying at Houston and just it, it looking like no one was in for him in the first place? What would be, what would be worse for, the, for people like Reams on Twitter to have to defend? Probably just... Yeah, I'm not defending anything. I can't <laughs> Just go, go into the Knicks embarrassing. Like, that's, that's, that's like, you might as well retire. That's just a dead, dead couple of years. But any of the other like crap teams, he could just drag them to the playoffs, and like, mm-hmm. like his championship window is closed, but his like his role as a relevant player is still wide open. Yeah, he can go to the to the Bulls or the Magic, and he'd be an all star, and he'd get them eighth or seventh. 
And for a lot of franchises, that's, that's, like, that's a success. 100. The only problem is that because of the pandemic, no one has fans. And a big part of the Ross thing, if you're, if you're Orlando, is it, it sells tickets. It mm. fills the arena when you normally wouldn't. But without any fans, that, that, that idea isn't there anymore. If he goes to the Knicks and brings him to the playoffs, he's the comfortably the best player of all time, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just get out of it. If you actually look at the Knicks' contract, like they have, they, if you could get that franchise to the playoffs, you're the best player that's yeah, ever played. You're beating curses, not just teams. Then <laughs> in that case, he's more likely to bring fashion shows to MSG, like when Russ brings the Knicks to the playoffs and gets one game off of the Nets in the first round, you're going to hear from me, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Russ does make that a rivalry, then yeah, he needs a, a statue outside of MSG for 100 when, when we go out in five tough games in the first round to the Nets, I'm going to be puffing my chest out. <laughs> Frost, what's, what's, the, what's the French guard, Frank? Uh, not that I can pronounce it. Nina Kina. Nina Kina. He'll have him looking competent. It'll be, it'll be amazing. It'll be, it'll be a different, different side. Look, I mean, let's, this pivots nicely into our off-season autopsy of, of the Rockets, right? And obviously, Russ is a huge question on that going forward, but is also a massive focus on that from this past season. The Rockets came into this and they were the, the trade was huge from OKC to get Russ and it sent shockwaves through the NBA and it was like, whoa, Russ Harden rekindling a, a sort of partnership that never got to really grow in OKC with James Harden being traded too early. And they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot of picks um, to, to get him. It hasn't worked. That's without saying. So I think the most frustrating thing for me was that Lakers game, and to say it hasn't worked, I think, yeah, let me stop myself there because there was points that they were one of the most exciting teams to watch in 2020 after January. I loved watching them. They were so different. Once they figured out Russ and Harden's roles and Harden found his shooting again, they were fantastic, which is why I was so excited for that Lakers matchup. Obviously, there's a Russ injury. Obviously, there's a Russ injury. That is going to have an impact. But it just went out sad. It was like no one else on that roster could step up to do anything. GT, what would you, go on. Before we get to that, I would, I would, I'd definitely say that we we should cover uh, a lot of the murmurs when the trade were being made. Uh, I, I don't think people people remove the context when we speak about the Rockets. I think the expectation versus what gets delivered is usually the the, the big debate. Um, so a lot of the pundits, a lot of the reporters, they were more concerned about how the stars would mesh together and be successful over the course of the, the playoffs. So I guess talking about the journey of how they started to piece things together and be a bit more cohesive is a good place to start because I think that was the first point of contention for detractors and fans. Uh, and that's what got everyone sort of our loggerheads. Okay, and GT, you're, you're the one who probably saw this most up close. Uh, what was the difference between February Rockets and October Rockets and November Rockets? Because even Russ is kind of the epitome of that in his numbers and his, and his role. But what, what, what were Gordon doing? What was Tucker doing? Um, once they got that Covington trade in, what was he doing to make them such an effective, exciting team? I mean, Covington was great pretty much throughout. Like, he was like a defensive menace. Like, he, he was playing centre, like, completely undersized, and he was getting, like, two blocks a game. He was great. Gordon, Gordon had a really rough, like, 
couple of years, really. Like this guy won a three-point contest a couple of years ago. He was one of the best shooters in the league, and you just couldn't hit anything. And it was, and he was, and because of the way the Rockets play, you still had to take like nine, ten threes, maybe hitting one or two, and it was rough. Like that was that was difficult. Tucker, I think, was great defensively, but again, his shot it dipped like a little bit, and the margins with him are so small because he can only hit from the corners. Like, like literally, he can only hit from the corners. And if he and if he's it was dipping down from like thirty six to thirty two, again, I just, yeah, it just kills. It just kills the offense. So it was just a lot of those like marginal things plus the Russ, Russ injury, and like, I mean, I don't think the, the Russ February that wasn't sustainable because that was that was like the best Russ ever. I don't, I don't think it was realistic to say, oh yeah, he's going to play like that in the playoffs. But then the quad injury and the COVID, it's really difficult to sort of pass what was real, what wasn't. So with with that context why not just run it back i mean obviously there's this culture stuff and everything like that but i was team run it back i was like let's go again i was <laughs> like get Sergio back up and yeah. run it back he's at the, the perfect center for those guys get Sergio back and run it back but so i, think, I don't think russ, i don't think russ i think listen i've been following russ for most of his career yeah and no matter what like even when even in the post kd years when he was surrounded by dross he never ever 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 criticised his teammates. He always, like, said, yeah, this is my fault. Like, blah, 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 blah. I take responsibility. He never, ever tried to outsource the blame onto anyone else. And, like, when he did that at the Rockets, I was like, wait a minute. Something fishy is going on here. Like, something happened between this group of players that Russ is just like, nah, this ain't, this ain't it for me. That's so, that's so when I, so when the news came out that he wanted to leave, I was like, okay, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that none of us really know that He's just not really feeling the vibes. Well, I mean, I mean, culture. Culture is a funny word, right? In sport, it gets thrown around a lot. But I think culture is the 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 trail of evidence that your behaviours and your conduct leaves, right? That's what a culture really is. So, if a culture is broken or no accountability or, or whatever, who's that because of? Is that a D'Antoni thing? Is that a Harden thing? Is that a Maury thing? Is that just playing too much into the James Harden? world because it's maybe not an accurate take but you've got to mention it Dwight Howard came in couldn't play with Harden Chris Paul came in couldn't play with Harden and now has gone and been really successful somewhere else Russ has come in and I don't don't think the Harden thing really because they are such good friends but that's what people have been running with that maybe it's like yeah you're my boy but I can't play with you who is to blame for this culture issue in the Rockets the thing with that is Dwight Dwight is pissing everyone off. <laughs> so he's, he's like, throw that one out. And CP is another one where like, it sounds like he's just like, awful to hang out with. He's constantly barking. Like apparently, the, like the Clippers had terrible sort of culture, if you want to say, like with like Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin could have stunned him. Yeah, they hated him. So I mean, but then you have to sort of balance. Doesn't matter if you're constantly barking at each other, if you're winning. Because the CP Harden thing, it works. Like, if, if CP doesn't get hurt, they'd yeah, probably win again. the title. Like, yeah, and those 27 yeah. missed threes, as, as is ridiculous. Yeah. So just I, how, how much you can put up with... So is it a t- do you think it's maybe a, a timing thing now, where we've seen enough windows of them not winning, that it's like, all right, now it's time to pile on and ask what's going on here. Because these things have apparently been going on for two, three years, in terms of like, oh, people not, not liking their role or everything. I think the main issue might be 
people have questioned James Harden's mentality as a winner throughout most of his like prime at the at the Rockets. Like, does he care enough that things didn't go right? Like, does he does he care enough to win? Like, you know, you see all the stories about like he loses, then he's at the strip club later that night and what I, I don't have an issue with that, but obviously there's always been questions over James Harden's just mentality in those situations. Like with Russ, like people have never questioned Russ's mentality. They've just questioned like his actual ability to mm. make things happen in those <laughs> But yeah, but with Harden, no one really questions his ability. It's always a mental thing, like, does he really have what it takes up there to make the difference for his team in those moments? And like that's been going on for a while now. So I feel like maybe a guy like Chris Paul that like demands so much from his teammates probably had issues with that. You know what I mean? And Russ, maybe as Harden's boy, is thinking, okay, things didn't go well. Why aren't you as upset about this as I am or something like or, that? You or know? even like you said, like if it was anybody else, he'd probably be onto them a lot more and he's conscious that he can't be. I don't know. Um, it's all speculation. But I think you've, you, you've made a great point there. And like, look, this is Harden's team. Surely, if any success or failure is there, it's down to Harden. And not in a media-driven way, in a way that every year it seems to become more and more Harden's team. That's the Zantoni factor. That for, me is, that for me is the crux of the issue. I, I don't think any other coach would have pandered to the laziness of a player as much as Dan Tony has. Um, you touched on it already. Harden off-ball is pretty much non-existent, and that's on both sides of the ball. I think this, this is the first year I ever really saw them find a balance on defense to protect him, where they sort of played the 2-3 zone and had him on the um, corner side to basically just collapse whenever somebody tried to drive on him. And it worked, but not enough to sort of sway the tempo of a game and to stop other teams from scoring. So that's where I sort of expected someone like Russ as the spiritual leader to come in and wrap his arm around his boy and put the rocket rocket up his ass, and it didn't happen. Um, so I think for me, that that lands on the coach. You need, you need a coach who's going to basically dictate and not just allow the sort of inmates to run the asylum, if you will, and really, really come with a game plan that has multiple layers that doesn't allow failure. And Dan Tony has shown over the course of his career that he's unable to do that. Well, look, I mean, GT, we'll, we'll segue a little bit into this season coming up because these Westbrook stories, when I first heard them, I thought, right, well, Harden's gone too. If Westbrook has a problem and is leaving, his brethren's following them out the door. That doesn't seem to be the case according to the reports. In yeah, that, I don't, think, I don't think both go. I think yeah, one goes. I mean, Shams has said he's locked in for the season. Let's say he is, uh, and we'll work with that. Even if, uh, even if Dinwiddie and Levert are, are, are fun little temptation, I don't know, and Jarrett Allen in there as well, who I who I love and needs to get out under the unfair shadow of DeAndre Jordan. That's some the, the ridiculous shadow. A <laughs> ridiculous shadow. Um, but look, huh? Is that a thing, Si? There's no one in 2020 that thinks DeAndre Jordan's better than Jared Allen, right? No, Kyrie. Yeah, Kyrie. Kyrie and KD. <laughs> it's, the issue. It's, it's the issue, though. Like, obviously, this isn't a Nets, Nets thing, but obviously, I think, I think that's just what the perception is. But I do think Jared Allen is the number one there. That's why he would be peddled. If you, if you go on, on the courtside Twitter, yeah, uh, one of the recent retweets I saw, uh, we made, I saw people were saying the 
best super teams that could happen right now. And you had like, you had like Dame, Jimmy and uh, Bam, and you had all these three man super teams. And then some clown put KD, Harden, Kyrie, and then just smuggled DeAndre Jordan into that photo. I think that's, that's, a, like KD no one that's a KD burner. Um, you but know look, we can see him there. Like, we see DeAndre Jordan there. You can't sneak him past us. He's not sneaking. GT, look, you've got a season with Harden. That, so, all's not lost if Russ is to go, obviously. And you've got a new coach coming in. So, if we say that this culture has kind of been too much pandering to Harden by D'Antoni, Daryl Morey, maybe that's what's been needed to even get Harden as locked in as he has been. So, maybe there's two sides of it. Maybe, okay, the mentality is not there to be so driven, so you need to make it all about him. I don't know. Um, I don't know him. Only the strippers do. Really. So you've got Stephen Silas, new coach, um, been an assistant for about 20 years in the NBA, um, was at the Warriors where he allegedly was schooled off, off sort of the small ball pioneer, Don Nelson and coaching tree out there. Um, dad was an NBA coach, Paul Silas as well. So he's been in film room since he was five years old is the, is the narrative around him. Surely he's going to come in with different ideas and maybe not make it an orbit around Planet Harden. He's also just come out from the Mavs. So not everyone knows about these assistants that go into head coaching roles because so much of the work is behind the scenes. But the Mavs had the number one offense by far last season. Dallas Mavericks <laughs> did have Luka. <laughs> Makes a difference. Um, but Paul, uh, Steven Silas is credited with being their kind of offensive coordinator. So, and he's even come out and said, look, you can't play only one way. That was what he said in his opening press conference. You can't defend only one way. You can't play only one way. So is coming away from the orbit around planet Harden what needs to happen? Do you need to get a second man in for Russ or another two options and just say to Harden, look, that hasn't worked. You're going to have to just be a normal sort of shooting guard, ball handler wing now. And it can't just be what it has been. Or when you say run it back, are you like, no, that is our best chance because we've got this guy, top five guy, got to make it work. Where, where are you standing on, on when this season kicks off in a month? Well, I mean, I, I believe that if putting the ball in your best player's hands is where you want it to be. Like you, want, you want your best players to touch the ball. Like when, when you have rubbish players sort of taking plays, like taking whole plays, taking whole shot clocks, eventually that hurts you. Mm. And the Mavs, they, they were Luka-dominated. Like, it was, it was, I mean, obviously it wasn't the same. It, was, it wasn't holding the ball and like wait, counting, down, count, counting down the shot clock, but he basically always had the ball. Light, you know? I don't know why people don't want to admit that. Yeah, he's the, exactly the most similar player to... Like Harden and Luka are very, very similar in their skill sets and Harden's actually a better defender. He's a better post defender and he like, gets yeah, those Luke, steals. Luka's poor. Better shooter, well, better defender. So, yeah. yeah. So actually... If he just takes the, the Dallas offense and says we're doing that now, and you're you're being Luca, let's go. I'm 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 happy. A revert, a revert to type for for Harden as well. The best season that he had at, at the Rockets, from my account, was when he him and uh, Gordon were playing one and the two, and he primarily lined up as a point guard. So I'm I'm not mad at that. Seventeen, yeah. Yeah, I think I guess the one thing is this whole Capella go. Get Russ and Covington in is 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 you can still keep the ball in Harden's hands, but to have no one big. So Covington's what six seven biggest man on the floor against the giant Lakers. I mean, there's another autopsy cause of elimination there. 
are they going to have to get a big man in, just someone to Harden to play off? Like, it's not so much taking it away from Harden, I guess, but is he going to be like, all right, this this small ball to extreme thing just needs to stop with the way the NBA is going back, maybe. But for the regular season, you need to have a body. You can't have Covington do 72 games and then the playoffs. Mm. You, could, you can go back to Covington, like, in crunch time and that, but for the 72 games, you need a big body. You need someone. Is that just, is that just the grind, the attrition of just getting yeah. beat up by yeah. all the centres, yeah? And who is there? Who, who, I mean, there's, there's a few loads. There's the loads. There's loads. There's loads of randoms. Ibaka's the guy for the Rockets, I'm telling you. Just any big guy. Any big lump from the draft. I don't really like... They don't have to be great. They just have to be a big body that can move. Be a guy that could protect the rim, do all right in switches. You, you could switch and defend on a switch and still space the floor. So it's, Serge Ibaka's the obvious choice. The thing with the centre position is that the Lakers and the Celtics last, last season... They sold it. You just, you just need some guys to fill up 48 minutes. They don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be great. They just have to, like, it could be two guys, it could be three guys. As long as they can do one thing well, they're fine. It can be Dwight, it can be JaVale, it can be Tice, Time Lord. Like, it doesn't matter. Just <laughs> anyone. Okay, so where do you see this going then, I guess, is, is the big question. Is all three of you really, like, let's, let's, let's work with Russ Ghost. Let's work with Russ Ghost because that's what the running story is. He might well be doing, like GT said, just kind of posturing to force the Rockets into... Because I just don't see who's going to really be able to make that trade the pieces. But let's say he goes. What, what, what do they do? What does Silas need to do with his culture? And where do they, where's their ceiling for next year? Because James Harden locked in means James Harden expects and needs to win. So what's the off-season plan for them now moving forward? I struggle to see how they get the right pieces to make them a contender again. I think the drop-off this year seemed quite drastic. They've finished, what, the fourth seed? Um, and that, that, for me, is too low for them to manage the intensity of the whole playoff run to get back to a finals. Um, I think they're just here for the vibes next year, in, in all honesty. They need, they need a, a big that can score and, and do the rest of the things. So switch, uh, rebound, protect the rim. And it's going to be slim pickings in terms of who's available or how many other pieces they have to do to uh, get rid of to try and facilitate that. Um, so, yeah, I just... I, but I just surely just vibes is not enough to keep James Harden. It's surely. not. It's not. So, so what happens there? So, I think he stays for another year and then they let him go the year after and commit to the rebuild. Reems, could you see that happening potentially earlier? If if in the first two months, Harden is like, you know what? There's strip clubs in other cities and nothing's happening here. If you have James Harden on your team, you're automatically like a playoff team, like a top, a top end playoff team. Just with James Harden and trash cans around him. So I feel like I don't feel like it will get so bad during the regular season that they'll think, yeah, it's time to blow it up. Like I don't think a Harden-led team will ever be that bad, especially in the regular season, that things look so hopeless. Like you know what I mean? Mm. So I feel like it will be dictated with how they do in the playoffs. Like for for um, here's my thing: they need to try get a big man first of all could do all the things that we've mentioned that works within harder system that could that's a like a roll to the rim catch lobs switch defend 
if he can space the floor, that's a bonus as well. Obviously, the, 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 the pickings are pretty slim. If they get rid of Russ, then they have more options. They could maybe get in a guy like Christian Wood, like mm. a player four and a five, could shoot, athletic. His defense ain't there yet, but he's got the he's got the tools. Yeah, he's got upside as well. Still, you know what I mean, um, if they could get in like a shooting guard that can play off the ball, I think their options aren't they're they're, they're limited in their options. I feel like next season, I don't feel like the West is so like clear cut that it's unfathomable for them to be a contender, but. All the teams this last year that were good are going to get better. And I don't mm. feel like it's obvious that the Rockets are going to get better. So it's going to be tougher. I feel like, um, <clears throat> pardon me, I feel like the Mavs are going to get better. I feel like the um, Nuggets are going to get better. Warriors back, obviously. You don't exactly know what they're going to look like, but they're back. Yeah, you know what I mean? If you have Stephen Clay on your team, you're a contender, you know what I mean? So I feel like the margin, the, the margin for error for them is so little and their mm. window is closing with James Harden very quickly so I feel like um, they'll have one more season of having a go of it because James Harden's still good enough for you to give him the key try to put, try, try put pieces around him and see yeah. if you could do it but I feel like at this point they could blow it up and they'd be justified in blowing it up because we have lots of evidence of James Harden's entire prime at the Rockets of him not making it work but I feel like sometimes when a player is that good, you don't want to be so hasty, especially in a season like this where most people are probably thinking, oh, it's probably Russ's fault. You know what I mean? Like, and also, look, this season is going to be so many variables as well. Like, listen, the season is starting on the 22nd of December. That does not mean it's going to run as smoothly as the bubble, right? There is going to be travel. There is going to be potentially fans in some arenas, not in others. There is going to be players living their normal lives in and around it. There is going to be COVID cases. There is going to be delays. The NFL has been doing all right, but not as is normal. So it's going to be, you could have, you could have your contenders miss huge games. There's even talk that because to lessen the travel, they're just going to have to sort of play their division again and again and again. Um, so I don't actually know off the top of my head what division the Houston Rockets are in. GT, that might be one you can... Southwest. They're in, the, they're in the Pacific now. I'm just making out, but I'm just. I'm just uh, Southwest, I believe. So they're in the Southwest Division with the uh, San Antonio Spurs, the Memphis Grizzlies, the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So if there's an NBA situation now where they're repeatedly having to play those teams, they'll do all right in that division. They'll do all right in that division. Even more so than usual. Obviously, you only get as far as you beat in the playoffs, but. You talk about GT, you talk about people getting beat up. If, if you've got the Lakers and the Clippers going at each other eight times a year because of travel restrictions and they just need to keep playing in the Staples Center, and then you've got Houston taking on a very, very young still New Orleans, uh, a rebuilding San Antonio Spurs, a very young Memphis Grizzlies, and yeah, an improving Dallas Mavericks, but a team who are by no means perfect, that could be a really, really nice way to get up in the season. So there's, there's a lot of variables. In saying that, where do you see the ceiling, GT? Like, as a fan, GT, I've known you a long time. You're maybe not the most uh, optimistic fan in the world. You, you're, you're cut from the same crop as me there. But where do you see the ceiling as, one, as almost the final word on this autopsy moving forward? What are the signs of life 
that you see for the for the Rockets? The, ce- the ceiling is all match up dependent. Like, because like, it was a second round exit last year, but it was because they was playing the Lakers. If they were playing like the Nuggets, they would have smashed them. But I think the ceiling is probably just conference finals again. I don't see them getting out of getting to the finals. I don't. I don't really see Harden actually winning a ring as the best player on the team. And on Harden, look, there's been sort of. Everyone has their peak. He's obviously, for me, he's still a top five player in the league. Consensus. He's still the best scorer in the league. Obviously, usage rate has something to do with that. But, but is there just a part which is, it's, it's the beginning now of maybe a bit more management, uh, keeping an eye on the weight, keeping an eye on the investment, keeping an eye on the hunger, keeping an eye on how intense he's really going to defend. Is, is, is it the, very early start of a decline for him, like you say, where he now needs to be the second man on a team in two years or so. Well, in, in the playoffs, that kind of stuff doesn't actually like, those aren't his issues. Mm. His, like, his, his defence is actually pretty good in the playoffs. His issue is that he just can't, he just, even though he's like one of the best scorers of all time, he just stops doing the stuff that works. That, that game against, that game seven against the Thunder was horrendous. We didn't get that ridiculous block on, on Lou Dort. Who is, who is that? <laughs> and that would have been the worst game ever. Like, he would have been pilloried. But he got, the, he got the ridiculous block and suddenly he's a hero and everyone, everyone's kind of like, and I'm leading the charge. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he was fine. He was fine. It wasn't fine. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> okay, fair play. Uh, yeah, the I mean... Their, the, the highlight of their playoffs, though, was Russ saying to Brom when they're 29 points down, Y'all can't go off me. Y'all can't go off me. That was literally the season highlight for them, which is pretty, pretty And, then, and there, there's a good way to sort of end on the Russ issue is not only did he do that, but he also tried to get in a fight with Rajon Rondo's brother or something. Like, it wasn't a graceful exit for Russ this Shout, year. Shouting out kids on the sideline. Uh, it, <laughs> the, kids was, the kids was the best. Yeah. The kids was the best. <laughs> that was the best one. And look, I guess as well, like with Russ, that's the other thing that's come out of these stories is he got interviewed after the game. Uh, he said, yeah, chemistry's fine. Let's run it back. Allegedly, the next day when they uh, left the bubble, he caught a separate flight back to LA. Everybody else flew back as a team. Um, I believe this is in, is in one of the Athletic articles. And uh, he's basically not seen anyone except for maybe James Harden since. So if you want to talk kind of where this is heading, we I think this is a good chat because we are potentially very much looking at, at a rustless future for, for the Rockets. Look, boys... Um, still, I, left, still left all the, all, all, all the cleaners a 10 grand tip, though, so shout out to my man. Shout out to Russ. Like they say... He's a dude off the court, man. Like, we, like we've said, Reams, on this pod, in this group chat, who needs efficiency when the streets and the cleaners Got love the you? Got the streets. Who needs, it? who needs it? Listen, boys, thanks so much for your time this week. Um, yeah, like I've said... To everybody draft is this Wednesday so keep it locked to the Twitter to see exactly what sort of coverage we're going to do on this draft uh, it might be a great it might very well be a graveyard shift for me watching the whole thing um, it's on Sky Sports on TV right it's on Sky Sports so for anyone whose uh, lockdown has affected their sleeping pattern I'm raising my hand here um, yeah lock in and, and we'll see because I think it could be a very very different league by Thursday um, I think the trades I think the drafts I think some of the free agents, the player options, I think they're going to really tip the balance in, in the direction of certain contenders. So we'll see how the Rockets come out with that. Um, but yeah, keep it locked. Twitter, Courtside Fracas, 
keep it locked on the YouTube um, and keep interacting, man. If you see, if you see us tweet, let us know your thoughts. Let us know, let us know whether we're right, whether we're wrong, whether you just want to scrap about it like Russ did with uh, Little Rondo. Um, and and yeah, keep keep it locked, everybody. Boys, thanks again. Sports Social Podcast Network.